Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I'm your host. And today on the podcast, I'm going to call an audible and talk about property and casualty insurance and inflation risks there too. That wasn't my original plan, uh, but that's what I'm going to talk about today. I've aimed this uh, podcast today not at people who know a ton about insurance, and not at people who know a ton about inflation, but people in each of those categories hopefully might learn something about the other category. And hopefully this will still be accessible to those of you who don't know a ton about either of those things. But but we're going to talk about insurance, uh, inflation in insurance businesses. Uh, But first, we start with a word from our sponsor. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs a fast-growing manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. Not only do they have sophisticated diversifying strategies like a managed futures ETF or yield curve plays like TUA, they also have the number one best-performing intermediate core bond fund from last year in AGGH and an enhanced income ETF, ticker HIGH, that was in the top 2% of its category. Check out their website at simplified.us and you can find all of their uh, ETFs at simplified.us slash ETFs. This podcast is also sponsored by Enduring Investments. Higher and unstable inflation has dramatic implications for portfolio asset returns and correlations. Current portfolio construction might do well when inflation hovers near 1.5%, but inflation at 3% or above is a different investment regime. You probably have an idea of who you call when you need plumbing or electrical work or landscaping. These are experts you've cultivated over time and trust. Who do you go to for inflation expertise? You can figure out a bad plumber because the pipes still leak when he leaves. Can you afford to have a leak in your financials because you use the wrong inflation expert? We are true inflation experts. Investment management for institutions and individuals and consulting for industrials, insurance companies, and OCIOs. Visit us at EnduringInvestments.com. And now the trivia question today, uh, what classic coin minted from 1878 to 1904, is called by the name of the designer of the coin, who was the U.S. Mint assistant engraver at the time. I will tell you that one side of the coin has a portrait that was modeled on Anna Willis Williams of uh, Philadelphia. That probably won't help you very much, but um, those of you numismatist coin people, uh, might have uh, might be able to guess that right off. You know, sometimes I have a pod all planned, and then something happens, or somebody sends me something that makes me say, "That's a much better podcast. I'm going to do that instead." In this case, what I was planning to talk about today was inflation-linked annuities, and then somebody, and you know who you are, sent me an article from Reinsurance News which is obviously a very exciting, uh, a very exciting uh, publication. There's a link in the show notes to the article. And, and, and the article cited the CFO of Travelers Insurance explaining that travelers significantly increased the size of the catastrophic excessive loss reinsurance that it, that it, it bought to protect itself in the event that the cost of a covered catastrophe is very large. So they've they significantly increased it. 
And he explains that the reason that he significant, they in, significantly increased it has to do with inflation. So today's topic is still insurance. And I'll circle back to inflation-linked annuities a little bit at the end. But, uh, but really more, you know, annuities is more of a life insurance sort of thing. And, and uh, now I'm talking more about property and casualty insurance. And really, it's, it's going to be a much higher level um, issue, I guess. Let me start with what's, insur- what's reinsurance because I think, you know, obviously some people out there know about in- insurance and reinsurance and, and uh, many of you will not. So you know what you know what an insurance company is. You go and you you have your house insured against fire or flood or something like that. Reinsurance is insurance for insurance companies. So it's what insurance companies do to protect their viability. They spread the risk that they're taking from their policyholders to other holders via reinsurance, or sometimes you know catastrophe bonds or or other things like other mechanisms. So that if there's a truly disastrous occurrence. The insurance company doesn't go bankrupt, which is obviously good for us, the policyholders, as well. So an insurance company can write lots and lots and lots and lots of premium, uh, lots of policies, and um, and then when they sit down, and they say, "Well, gosh, if all of these things, if really bad, 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 bad things happen, this could knock us out." And so they go figure out what that tail is, and they go out and they, they purchase reinsurance uh, against it. Because really, the insurance company has sort of two choices, right? If, you, if the insurance company has taken on a bunch of risks that normally are okay, but every once in a while, I mean, this is the whole point of insurance, is that you get these long tail events. Every once in a while, you know, it, they get smacked. You get a, you know, one, you know, get a hundred year flood or you get a hurricane or, or earthquakes in, you know, in Mississippi or, you know, someplace you don't expect them or something happens. And, uh, and so the, the insurance company has two ways to protect itself. One is to go and make sure that somebody else, uh, you know, if we can handle X amount of loss, we will go and pay somebody else uh, who will take on the excess loss above that level. Well, the other thing it can do is hold lots and lots of capital. And it can say, well, okay, we, we insured twice as much as we really have the capital for, so let's go raise twice as much capital. And that's a super expensive way for an insurance company to, to run itself. Um, it would be, mean very low returns most of the time just to have enough capital for that 100-year flood. So, so insurance companies instead go about buying reinsurance or reinsuring in some way through cat bonds or things like that. So in the case that something crazy happens, the insurance company calls, in, calls on the reinsurance, uh, and then the insurance company can make good on the claims. By the way, obviously, this is part of what regulators care a lot about, right? Because the regulators in order you know, need to see that an insurance company isn't so risky that there's some chance they might not actually be able to make the claims that they've agreed to pay in in some circumstance. So you know a regulator and and or, and a rating agency, in order to get a really good rating from a rating agency, you've got to make sure that you've you've uh, reinsured these long tail risks. Um, and, and and because they're pretty good at that, it's the reason you very it's very rare to see an insurance company fail, and even rarer for an insurance company to fail 
to such an extent that they don't satisfy policies. Um, so let's think, though, because this is about inflation, not about insurance, let's think about the risks that an insurance company face faces. There's, there's really two types of costs when traveler's insurance is thinking about these long-tail risks. Two types of costs that they have to worry about over a longer-term time horizon. One is the usage or utilization. It's also called social inflation, which has nothing to do about with inflation, but the, 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 the utilization um, of the insurance itself. So how many times that, that insurance is actually called upon to deliver. And the other, the other cost is, is inflation. Um, so, or if you like, you can think about it as the real value of, of the catastrophe to the insurance company and the change in the price of those real values. So let me give you an example. Let's suppose that I am in the business of insuring homes against a flood. And over the long term, say five or ten years, I expect that I'll have to make good on the policy, the policies for, say, 100 homes a year. And I think that each house is going to cost me $200,000 on the policy. I'm going to have to re rebuild these houses. So on average, I'll have $20 million in outlays per year for, say, five years. And so if I'm taking in more premium than that, you know, then, then I'm good. Um, and, uh, but of course, that's just on average. And, and I could be wrong. Um, how can I be wrong? Well, there's two ways. One is that my real cost could be higher. I assumed it was 100 homes per year that were going to be flooded. Turns out it was 200 homes per year. Okay, so that's one way I can be wrong, and that costs me more money. Or it could be that the price of each home is wrong. So it turns out that it really was 100 homes that got flooded, but each one took 300000 instead of 200000 to rebuild. Okay, so there's two different ways that I can have this thing cost a lot more money than I thought. Um, and, of course, both those things could happen at the same time. It's 200 houses and they're 300000 a year. But the point is that those are very different risks. The one is a price risk, an inflation risk. Okay, the price of the house is three hundred thousand instead of two hundred thousand, and one is a real risk, a usage risk, a um, a utilization risk that two hundred policies were exercised instead of one hundred policies. So, but when Travelers goes in and increases its reinsurance coverage. Okay, which is excess of loss. So they say we'll take three and a half billion, and then and then the next three and a half billion after that, somebody else is going to take. So it's not likely to to kick in, but but you know there's a chance it'll kick in. When travelers buys that that insurance, that reinsurance, it's covered against both of those risks. Okay, so if the loss is caused because the price of houses went up tenfold, then travelers is covered, uh, at least for that next the next uh, uh, tranche of, of that cost. Um, or if, the, if instead of 100 homes, it's 500 homes, then Travelers is also covered. As an aside, and it's sort of mentioned in this article, the increased cost of this reinsurance is one of the things that's causing, again, according to the article, strong renewal pricing, or put another way, higher insurance costs and higher insurance inflation. So it's not just that costs of the things that we're insuring are going up, like cars and houses. It's that costs are going up and the cost of hedging and reinsuring 
um, because of the uncertainty in those costs due to inflation, are both going up. And by the way, what I'm about to be uh, about to say is especially important for long tail lines like workers' comp, long ter- long term care insurance. I've been talking about, you know, flood insurance and things like that, but most of those policies, you know, are are renewed you know annually um, or you know fairly short term. Um, uh, policy terms, whereas uh, workers' comp, long-term care, those those have much more long-term exposure. But but um, I think it's easier to think in terms of you know, the casualty risk to a house. So let me unpack this a little bit further. Reinsurance is an option, okay? And I've been kind of talking about it in those terms, and that really is what it is. Um, an option gives you, in exchange for an upfront premium, the right but not the obligation to do something, pay something, or receive something. Um, so a call option on Tesla stock struck at $100 gives me the right to buy Tesla at $100. And how much I pay for that, um, it, well, I'll get to that in a second, but my worst case is that is that the option is worth nothing, that Tesla declines to $99 or below, and so my right to exercise that option and buy Tesla at 100 isn't worth anything. My best case is that Tesla goes to a million, and I have a right to buy it at 100, and so I make an enormous amount of money. Um, so it's asymmetric. Okay, I can lose no more than my premium, and I can I can make an unlimited amount. Now in reinsurance, we're not typically talking about unlimited amounts. We're you know they're not uncapped, right? They'll be. There'll be uh, a a band from three and a half billion in losses to six billion in losses. Okay, so there'll be a, a tranche, but but the point is still that they're they're less likely events. You're going to pay an upfront premium, a reinsurance premium, and in exchange you get this the right to call on this additional capital, if you will, um, to to satisfy premiums in or satisfy claims in the event that something bad happens. Um, similarly, it's asymmetric that there's, it's very likely you're not going to use any particular reinsurance policy, but when you do use it, it could, it could be very, very valuable. Um, and when you don't use it, you know, because you don't use it very often, the cost of the reinsurance tends to be, um, it is lower than if you were going to be hit with that every year. So, um, in this podcast, I'm not going to go into into option pricing, but suffice to say that that the options pricing is is a lot like insurance pricing. The price of the option is approximately the expected present value of the range of outcomes. Where, and again, think of Tesla, where there are a lot of those outcomes where that have a zero value. $99 for Tesla has a zero value. $98 for Tesla, you know, at the expiry of the option has a zero value for the option and so on. Some of those outcomes, $101, $102, have a small value. And some of those outcomes have a very large value. And and, and typically, if we're talking about something which looks like a bell curve, those things which have a really high value have a very low probability. Long, long tail outcome, very low probability. That contributes to the value of the option. Um, so I said that, that options pricing is like insurance pricing, right? Cause 
we kind of do the same. You know, that's how how an insurance an insurance company thinks is. How do I price this policy? Well, what are the prob what's the probability that this is what the underwriting uh, process is all about? What's the probability this person is going to get in a wreck? You know, single guy, twenty two years old, unmarried. This, that, and the other thing. What's the probability this person gets in an accident? And how bad is that accident likely to be based on a tremendous amount of data that we have? Okay, so let's figure out then the expected value of that particular policy and we'll charge him a little bit more than that because we got to make a profit and there's some uncertainty we have to deal with. It's exactly the way you price an option, a regular, you know, a stock option or a bond option. And so insurance Insurance and reinsurance pricing is very similar to option pricing and vice versa. Very similar theories in terms of how you think about what the value of the option should be. Now, there's one way that insurance pricing is not like options pricing on securities. The option, an option on securities like Tesla, can be hedged or replicated by taking actions on the underlying liquid security. So, without, again, without going deeply into options theory. You know, it, it was it was the Black-Scholes insight, in fact, that an options price, options fair price, is not just is it's not is the expected payoff not just of the terminal outcomes, okay, the probability of of all the outcomes at the expiry times the the, the so the value of them times the probability of those uh, all accumulated, but it's also the expected payoff of the hedging strategy itself. Again, my purpose isn't to talk about options pricing, but the point is that because of this insight, we know that options on liquid things, where you can have an underlying hedging strategy, all else equal, those options on liquid things are cheaper than options on illiquid things, which are hard to go and and hedge. So getting back to reinsurance and the particular issue with insurance, with reinsurance, um, that we're, it, it, the particular issue with reinsurance is that we are hedging not only the real outcome, the number of houses or whatever, but also the price outcome, the price per house. When the reinsurer or the inflation-linked securities market or, or, or whoever is pricing that insurance, they have to price the potential outcomes, the potential payouts they'll have to make over a range of both price and quantity, Okay, both the the you know, cost of the pay of of the particular thing you're you're insuring, and how many of those particular things you'll have to pay out, and that tends to make reinsurance more expensive than it necessarily has to be. There is a better way. Let's suppose, just for argument's sake, let's suppose that we knew with absolute certainty how many houses we were going to have to cover, uh, so that as an insurance company, so that as so that our only exposure was to the cost of rebuilding, the risk that the $200,000 house is a $300,000 house. Well, then that's a much easier problem, and you don't need reinsurance because it's related to inflation, and there are securities linked to inflation. Options on inflation aren't particularly available, but you can rep... They have periodically been available. They aren't really available right now, but you can still replicate an option. There's still an underlying hedging strategy that you can pursue that's fairly cheap. And so that's a pretty easy option to go hedge. Um, so this would be an option on a, on a cheap to hedge thing. If you did it through reinsurance, the reinsurance would still kick in, but 
it would mean you way overpaid for that reinsurance because the person selling it to you is a, is pricing the illiquid to hedge part of it. What you should do, ideally, is structure the reinsurance to be linked to the number of incidences or the number of houses, the number of board feet needed, or, or something else that's closely related to the real insurance cost, to the incidence, to the usage of it, to the utilization of the insurance, and not tied to the cost of that outcome. Okay? In other words, say we're just going to assume that the cost of the house is $200,000, and then we'll count the number of houses that actually had to be rebuilt, and the reinsurance will cover me at $200,000 per house. Separately, Okay, I can now go, then I can go and hedge the in the the risk that the two hundred thousand is three hundred thousand because I can do that in a in a in a liquid way, in a cheaper way. Okay, by removing that inflation part from the reinsurance treaty, the other reinsurance get the the, the reinsurance itself gets cheaper because then it's much easier to ring fence the total exposure. the The person who's doing the reinsurance, the reinsurer, is is calculating the total possible exposure in today's dollars without worrying about dollars five years from now and what those might be worth and what the price of a house is. So again, the inflation part is relatively easy to hedge. The reinsurance part, which is difficult to hedge, we're just going to limit it to the part that that we don't have any other way to hedge, that, that reinsurance is the only way to really hedge it. At the end of the day which is a phrase that I hate, and I'm sorry that I just used it, uh, but but I'm not going to go back and edit it out because I don't like to go back and edit things out, but at the end of the day, hate that phrase. Anyway, inflation risks are very similar to casualty risks. That's that's the bottom line. They're, it, it, your inflation pain uh, is infrequent, but it has very long tails, okay? So you don't often have you know, bouts of inflation. But when you do, it can be 10% inflation. And those can be crazy expensive. Um, and and they're difficult to diversify away. And that's very similar to a casualty risk, okay? So if you're going to reinsure, um, you know, against hurricanes, well, hurricanes are infrequent. But when they hit, they have very long tails. They're very, very expensive uh, uh, events. And there's no good way to sort of diversify away your hurricane risk. Uh, the difference between the casualty risks and the inflation risks is that in inflation tail risks are relatively cheap to hedge compared to reinsurance of real casualty risks. So if you think about an insurance company as having one pot of option premium to spend, it's much better to spend them on the liquid tails and the liquid risks than the illiquid risks. But the important takeaway is not that you shouldn't buy reinsurance. You should only buy inflation reinsurance. The real takeaway is that they should be separated. The, the, insurance, re, the insurance company isn't set up to do reinsurance in this way uh, yet, but the potential gains are are significant if they did. If, if we wrote treaties uh, in such a way that you could strip out the easy-to-hedge piece, um, and, and there have been companies that have sort of investigated this idea in the past, but it, to my knowledge, it hasn't actually happened. Now, let me circle briefly back to inflation-linked annuities, which is on the life side. 
Uh, and possibly I'll, I'll do a longer podcast in the future specifically on inflation-linked annuities. Most annuities are, are, are fixed annuities. Some offer regular escalators, but they often call inflation riders, but they don't really vary with inflation. Um, but, but most of them are fixed. So they'll pay uh, you know, $20,000 a year uh, or $2,000 a month you know, for the rest of your life. Very, very few annuities uh, are indexed to inflation other than Social Security. Um, so you can have a $20,000 immediate life annuity, but it buys less and less over time. So for the rest of your life, you get twenty grand, but over time, that 20000 buys less and less. So would you rather have that or would you rather have an annuity that pays less now? Maybe it pays 15000 now, but over time, that 15000 will rise with inflation so you know it will always cover the same proportion of your spending. It goes up with the cost of living. Well, the latter is 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 clearly more valuable to you as 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 an investor and as a you know future retiree or recurrent retiree why don't then they exist they're, they're if, if you think about it they're the perfect hedge for the biggest risk that a retiree faces and that's the risk that their wealth gets eaten away by inflation so that their nest egg that they've saved all their lives doesn't go nearly as far as they'd expected because inflation popped up once they retired or the other part of, of insurance, obviously, the risk that you outlive your nest egg. And that's one of the reasons you buy an annuity is because the annuity goes until you die, no matter how long that is. And so, and so an inflation-linked annuity covers two of, these, two of the biggest risks that a retiree faces. You would think they would be in enormous demand. Um, but as we've seen, insurers naturally are sort of short inflation risk. So... Writing inflation-linked annuities, even though they're really easy to do, really easy to hedge, isn't really high uh, on their list. And what they'll also tell you when you talk to life companies is that no one really wants inflation-linked annuities because the starting values are much lower than fixed annuities. I don't think that's true. I think it's mostly laziness uh, because they really are super valuable and you can show how valuable these are. And again, maybe I'll cover this in another pod someday. Um, but again, inflation is a big risk to insurance companies and, and all those risks kind of go the same way. Unlike say mortality and longevity risks, you know, life companies have, have two risks to the lifespans of their customers. Um, annuities cost a life company more if people live longer because they have to pay out the annuity for longer. But at the same time, life insurance costs a life insurance company less if people live longer because take, they don't have to pay out for as long. I mean, they, they, it's longer before they have to pay out. So your particular lifespan or the lifespan of, of the policyholders um, works both for and against an insurance company. That's not true with inflation. Everything, almost everything uh, inflation-related hurts the insurance company. Um, there is no natural offset to inflation risk, and that's one of the reasons that inflation-linked annuities are not widely distributed today. You'd think insurance companies would be more vigorous about hedging inflation so that they could offer products more like this and about thinking about ways to structure the risk management activities to hedge this part cheaply, um, but there aren't very many insurance companies who are out there thinking that far forward. But if any of them are out there listening to this, 
Remember, you know a guy. And now back to the top. Our trivia question was, what classic coin minted from 1878 to 1904 is called by the name of the designer of the coin, the U.S. Mint Assistant Graver engraver at the time? Um, it was one of the most famous U.S. coins. It was called the Morgan Dollar. Now, I always thought that the Morgan Dollar was named after the banker, J.P. Morgan. This is, but it was actually, it's actually a little bit too early for, for J.P. Morgan, right? Um, but actually it was named after the assistant engraver George, T. Morgan, and it features a portrait of Lady Liberty on the front that was modeled after a uh, uh, a person from Philadelphia at the time, and it has an eagle with outstretched wings on the obverse. I'd be interested to know how many of you got that right without, just like right off the top, top of your head. Anyway, that's all for today's podcast. Uh, I appreciate it when you like this podcast. I appreciate it when you subscribe and when you refer other people to it. So please do that. Please, please click away a little bit. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com and subscribe for free to my blog at inflationguy.blog. Follow me on X at inflation underscore guy. Visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. And most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you or if you're an insurance company, remember, you know a guy. 